Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Awesome, you're here, you made it, and we're getting started on a brand new series called No Other Gospel. Will you say that with me? Ever say, No Other Gospel. This is a series that is a little bit different than maybe what we've just done or what we even maybe normally do. I, I want to say most of the time we take on, take on like big topics or big ideas and then we break them down into parts and work through them. Um, this one's a little bit different. We want to take a book of the Bible and work through it. And while we're not going to go verse by verse like hardcore through it, I would really, really encourage you to get your Bible open um, tonight, get your Bible open during the week and start reading through the book of Galatians. And, and here's why. We're going to be in this for the next few weeks. And, and the implications of this book is huge. So let me tell you why this book even exists. Everybody say the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, many of you know, if you know the Bible, you kind of know that he was this Jewish leader who became a Christian after Jesus had already died. And he was this Jewish scholar. He was this guy that is just a scholar of the, what we would call the Old Testament. And he, he finally has this moment with Jesus. He encounters Jesus on literally the road to Damascus. He sees the light, if you will. And his life is forever changed. And from that point forward, he becomes a missionary. And he basically travels all around the Mediterranean rim establishing churches. And that's what his whole life is all about. He's just traveling around talking to non-Jewish people and setting up churches. And one of the places that he went to go set up a church was this place called Galatia. Everybody say Galatia. Galatia. So the Apostle Paul, he's traveling everywhere, but this one place in Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. So if you can get your mind wrapped around that and where in the world he would be, that's just a little bit north, northwest of where Jerusalem would have been. He goes to this city and he starts telling everybody about Jesus, and he sets up a church, and he starts establishing leaders and a congregation. It might not be too unlike what you're seeing now. So it, there's just a church community going on there. But he would set up leadership and then leave and move on to the next city. But what he would do is, so that he could stay in contact with these churches, is he would write epistles. Everybody say epistles. Epistles are just letters. That's really all that means. Apostles write epistles. And epistles are letters that... <laughs> They're, they're letters that they wrote. So when, when you look at your Bible and you look at the, the book of Rome, I mean, the, I'm sorry, yeah, the book of Romans, that was Paul writing to the church at, yeah, you guys are awesome. And so I was going to say like, no, it was, it was Jerusalem. But no, so when he wrote to Corinthians, he was writing to the city of Corinth. When he was writing to Galatia, he was writing to the region of Galatia. And that's what this book all begins with, but it begins because of something. And here's the because of something. They had established this church, but a group of people came from Jerusalem, and they were Jewish Christians, and they were a little bit different. And they came into the church of Galatia, all these Greek, Gentile, non-Jewish people. And they're like, wait a minute. This isn't how we do it in Jerusalem, and you guys need to be more like us. And they decided that what you needed was, is that you needed Jesus plus some of the Old Testament laws and regulations. Which at first glance, you might be like, okay, well, I mean, that, that can't be too bad, right? I mean, and Paul's like, no, that's awful. And, and here's, here's what was really going on. They didn't try to make them do all the things. They tried to have them do just a few things. And a couple of things that they wanted them to do and get on board with was they wanted them to be like the Jews in the area of their diet and circumcision. Got quiet up in here. 
So, so, so imagine these guys come and you're like, hey, all you dudes, you need to get circumcised and you need to follow the Jewish dietary laws and some of these other Jewish customs and laws and you need to do this. And do you know what happens when people go up into a church and they enforce circumcision and no bacon? Do you know what you call that? You call that women's ministry. That's what you call that. Because no dude is going to be a part of that church, right? No dude's going to be like, I'm on, sign me up. Because here's the deal. That Jewish guy that rolled up into church, he got circumcised when he was eight days old. He doesn't remember anything. He didn't have to do that as an adult. And then you start throwing in all the other stuff. And so all of a sudden there's this church division. There's this church um, kind of confusion. And the Apostle Paul catches wind of these Jewish leaders coming up and kind of infiltrating the, the church of Galatia and telling them it's Jesus plus all this other stuff. And so they get caught up in it. And Paul's like, hold up. Give me some pen and paper. We're going to handle some business. And that's the book of Galatians. Are you ready? So that's, the, that's, the, that's how we go. So the, the book begins with this nice little greeting. Hey, I'm Paul, and I'm so-and-so, and we're so happy for you. God bless you. But then he immediately shifts gears, and he, he's kind of corrective in tone. He's, he's challenging in tone. That's the nature of this letter. And he says this in verse number 6. He goes, I'm astonished, I'm shocked, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different Gospel. So he said, like, we started with a gospel that was all about the grace of Christ. But now you guys have been infiltrated by these people called Judaizers, meaning there's Christians plus some Jewishness. They're Jesus plus some more rules and laws of the Old Testament. He goes, and you turn to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Like, that's not even the gospel anymore. You took something. So messed it up, it ain't even what it began to be in the first place. You, it's nothing at all. And evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So are you getting this picture here? He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We started it with something organic. We started with something pure. We started something that was so about Jesus and the cross and the grace of God, and we were on point. But then you guys started messing stuff up. Here's what happened. We took something that was pure, and we let people get more and more involved in it. And when people get more and more involved with it, their sin gets more and invo- more involved in it. And then it just kind of becomes diluted and corrupt or polluted or messed up. Or we get these weird, goofy ideas. He goes on to say, hey, look, the gospel that I gave you, he tells this big elaborate story of where it came from and how it was confirmed by Peter and James and all the apostles. He goes, this was the real deal. And if anybody ever tells you anything other than this, they're dumb. He said, let them be accursed. And that's the gospel that he was trying to get to because what they had done was is that they had basically gone from the gospel of grace and they were challenging it with the gospel of religion. And when I say religion, I don't mean like, you know, you went to church and you're kind of religious. I'm talking about you believing that if I keep a certain creed, if I keep a certain number of rules, if, I'm, if I tip the scales of good over the scales of bad, if I'm really, really good, then God will like me and all this stuff. L- l- let me keep reading here. He says this. He goes... This is verse number one in chapter three. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Actually, the literal translation was who gave you the evil eye? He said, for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you a question. 
Paul would do this. He was, he'd do like these rhetorical questions. Let me ask you a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. Which, by the way, that's what gospel really is. It's a proclaimed message of good news. He said, you received that because of the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? I told you, this is kind of corrective in tone, in nature. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? This is, this is the contrast here. And what Galatians addresses over time is this, is that some people need to be saved from their sin. Some people need to be saved from their religion. Some people, they need to come to faith in Christ to begin with. Some people need to be saved from the weird, warped, dumb ideas that have polluted Christianity, which is many times the reason why you left Christianity so long ago and now you've come back is because you, you realize what I left for wasn't even a valid reason. I had a messed up or a jacked up or a distorted version of it anyway. And it's this whole idea of gospel, the truth, what, what, the, what the gospel was really all about versus this religious idea that man came up with. So let me help you out. Okay, this is, this is how we'll walk through it. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. And just so you know, every religion works this way. On planet earth, it's always saying, well, if I do this, and if I try that, and if I say this prayer, and I do these things, and I definitely don't do those things, then, of course, then I'll be right with God. But here's the deal. The gospel is different. The gospel is not about you getting to God. The gospel is about God getting to you. This is why God came. Because you had no ability to figure it out on your own, and you had no ability to get to God on your own. This is futile. Let's keep going here. Religion says that you owe a debt and you need to pay. That's why you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do that. You can't drink, chew, or date girls that do. You need to be really good and you need to be kind and you need to forgive everybody and you need to go to church all the time. And if you do these things, then you begin to pay down your debt. Gospel doesn't say that. Gospel says you owe a debt that Christ already paid. That's different. Next one. Religion says, if you're good, God will like you. So if you do all those things that you're supposed to do and don't do all the things that you're not supposed to do, then God might be happy with you. And then maybe, just maybe, he'll let you into heaven because you've been really, really good. Gospel says God already loved you. So just in light of that, be good. So our goodness doesn't come from trying to measure up and trying to get God to like us. It just comes as a reflection of God's love that we've already received. Here's, here's another one. Religion, then out of that, makes you live for the love of God. Like now you got to do it. you got to earn it. you got to work for it. This is why some of you feel so terrible when you did something and you had a bad week and you yelled and you kicked the dog and you did all this and you're like, I can never go to church now. God will be so angry with me. Listen, don't kick the dog, but get to church. Like, like, because, again, because you didn't keep all the rules and you didn't measure up and you didn't get everything just right and you totally broke all those things and rules and mom guilted you or dad guilted you or the preacher guilted you because you didn't do all those rules, now you've got to be good or God won't love you. Gospel is like, no, 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 God already loves you. Any of your goodness comes from the love of God and now the gospel just makes you live not for the love of God, you actually just live freely. From the love of God. It is totally 
different. Last one, religion, is really about behavior modification. Hey, this is, this is like you get into any religious system. All we're trying to do is make you a better version of yourself. We need you to make, be kind. All the dudes, you need to be kinder. You need to be gentler. You need to be sweeter. All the wives, you need to be more submitted and more obedient. All the kids, you need to honor your father and mother. You need to do, 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 and do. And we just need to keep working on your behavior. This doesn't work. How can I put this? I'm going to be blunt. Please don't judge me. It's going to be hard to judge me by the end of the sermon because I'm going to talk about grace so much. But I, as a person, on my own strength and ability, I suck. I stink. I am awful. Every time I ever tried to do good, I failed. This is why the Apostle Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am. Every time I try to do the thing that I know I ought to do, I don't do it. And all the times that I know that I'm not supposed to do the thing that I know I'm not supposed to do, I do it. What is wrong with me? Oh, wretched man. You ma-. This is what Paul said. He was basically saying, I stink. I'm, I really am garbage. And it's because... If your focus is on behavior modification, you're going to always fail. You do not have the strength in and of yourself just to like, because how many have ever tried that? How many have ever tried, I'm just going to be better? How'd that work out? How long did that last? I remember as a young person being so, so dumb and so messed up and in so many bad things. And I was like, dear Lord, I scared, you ever scare yourself? You've like done so many dumb things. You've gone so across the line of sin and evil that you're like, I scared myself. I scared myself as a teenager. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to be good. Because this, this is bad. I need to change. It lasted three months. And I thought that was pretty good. Because, because, but see, that's not what gospel is all about. Gospel is not about you changing your behavior. It's about heart transformation. And that's the issue is so many times we come into church and the preacher starts talking about a biblical principle and you're like, well, I'm not good at that. I need to work at that. And then all of a sudden we get into to this like just, just purely changing our behavior. It doesn't work. And that's what Paul's addressing in the book of Galatians. You and your own effort just trying to be a better version of yourself, it will never work. Jesus plus you and all this others, it doesn't work. You trying to keep all the, it doesn't work. I'll prove it to you. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, how many rules did they have? One. Still blew it. (laughs) We stink at trying to keep rules for the sake of keeping rules. We're no good at it. So religion says, well, you need to keep all the rules so that God will like you. And if you keep all the rules, maybe you can get in. And you better not do this, and you got to do that, or God will never love you or bless you or care about you. And, but the gospel shows them and says, no, it's actually none of that stuff. God already loves you. God already paid the price for you. God has already showed up on your behalf and created this opportunity for redemption. And what he wants is not to focus on your behavior modification. What he wants to focus on is your heart transformation. I said all that. To kind of get to this this bigger idea. What is it then that we really need in life so that we can actually experience God and live out his best for our life? Now, in the Old Testament, they had the law. Everybody say the law. And a lot of people were like, well, wait a minute, Todd, because the Bible does have all these things that you're supposed to do and not supposed to do, doesn't it? Kind of. If you change the lens from which you see. Because here's the deal. The Old Testament was given to us 
with all kinds of rules. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are 613 rules or laws in the Old Testament. Now, the Garden of Eden, they had one. And then after that, they, they went to 613. Because <laughs> that's how dysfunctional human beings are, right? And guess what? If you look now, we've got new laws on the books right now, government laws that didn't exist 100 years ago. Why? Because we created new ways to jack stuff up. We couldn't keep just those. We had to add more because we couldn't keep them either. It's, it, again, we, we kind of missed the boat. Listen to what the book of Galatians says, why the laws were given to begin with. The Bible says, Galatians 3.10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Well, that doesn't sound good. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything. Everybody say everything. Everything written in the book of the law. The reason why the law was given was to prove this, that the law cannot be obeyed. Isn't that encouraging? Like, the law was given. This was like God looking at a teenager who was so arrogant and believed they knew everything. We've never experienced that before. And, and, and then all of a sudden God shows up and says, well, hey, just here, if you, if you got this, if you're on your own, if you don't want, just, here, just follow these, these rules and then your life will be blessed. And it was true. If you would have followed these laws, your life would have been more blessed. But he goes, the point of the law was to show you that you don't measure up. The point of the law was to show you even when you had one, you couldn't keep that one. When you had 600, you couldn't keep all those. You are not a rule keeper and you'll never measure up on your own. And as long as you keep trying to live underneath a religious system, please don't miss this. Come back to me if I lost you. As long as you try to live under a religious system, you end up under a, a curse. Now, what's the curse that he's talking about? The curse is not the way we think of it today. It's, it's the equivalent of living under negative consequences. It wasn't like a witch and I curse you. That's not, that's dumb. This is different. The way they would have understood is like, oh, I'm living underneath this negative consequence, it's like a cloud that will follow me wherever I go if I keep trying to live this way. And I'll prove it to you. If you've ever looked at somebody who was hyper-religious, religious people are the most miserable people in the world. And I'll prove it to you. Either A, you're incredibly arrogant and I don't like you. Or B, you're just so guilted that you're miserable. But either way... You live under a curse. Now, this is why it works this way. Let's say I'm religious, and I'm really good at keeping all the rules, and I look down at you because you don't keep the rules nearly as good as I keep the rules, and so I'm a better person than you are. How many of you like having that guy for Thanksgiving? <laughs> that type of arrogant, judgmental, that's the type of thing that we're trying to get out of the church. That's the, what the reputation of the church is in certain precincts and denominations and parts of the country, is that Christians just think they're better than everybody else. Where does that come from? It comes from this religious notion that we're better than other people because we're better rule keepers, when the reality is, is you stink at keeping the rules just like they do. I think I got one amen out of that. We, we, we all do. Does, does that make sense? And so it's not about who keeps the rules better and who keeps the rules worse. And so now I'm better than them because I'm better at keeping the rules. That's nothing but arrogance. That'll lead to a miserable life. But the other way, and some of you grew up under this, depending on what denomination or brand of Christianity you came out of, you were always guilted. You were always told that because you didn't keep all the rules, that you were the scum of the earth and you didn't measure up and God was going to get you. And you lived underneath this cloud of guilt. That's miserable too. 
Who wants to live like that? And he goes, if you live underneath the religious system, this meritocracy that says I always get what I earn. We don't earn enough. I always get what I deserve. We always deserve punishment because we don't keep all the rules. When we had one, we didn't keep those. When we had 600, we don't keep those. They had just 10, they didn't keep those. We keep missing the mark. Listen, listen, this is where it gets beautiful. So then, then what was the purpose? Listen to this, Galatians 3.19. What then was the purpose of the law? Next verse says this. Verse 24, here we go. Bam. So the law, he answers his own question because that's what rhetorical people do. So what's the point of the law? So the law was put in charge to do what? To lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So the whole point of the law was to show you that you didn't measure up anyway. There's no need to get arrogant. There's no need to feel guilted. This is just to let you know that you need something other than yourself to save you. So that it points you back to Jesus because Jesus is perfection. And Jesus paid the price for us. And Jesus did it for us. And Jesus loved us before we were ever in. Are you, are you seeing it? So it, the, the law leads us to Christ. That was the whole point. If you don't figure this out, then, then again, one of, these, one of these religious misbeliefs that you get into, um, we'll, we'll call it the 51% heaven. This is where we keep looking underneath the religious system of good and bad, and well, I was really, really good today, but last week I was really, really bad. And so you know what? Hold up, because I, I did five bads last week, so this week I need to do at least six goods, and then that'll give me a, t a tip just this little direction here. So now I've done a little bit more good than I've done bad. And as long as I'm a little bit more good than I am bad, then I guess I can get into the 51% heaven. Because I'm just 1% better than I am bad. Who came up with this ridiculous idea? But the law was put into motion so we could see. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're saying I can't do this on my own. And God's like, yes, that's right. So you're saying I need somebody perfect to redeem me that's what i'm saying that's where jesus shows up and this is why in the opening he said why were you so quick to leave this gospel of grace that came through christ why did you take jesus and then try to add all this stuff on top of it and that's where we get to this big idea of grace listen to this last last scripture on the law galatians three twenty four says the law was our guardian until christ came it protected us, sounds kind of strange, until we could be made right with God through faith. And so this was this idea that like, okay, I'm going to put the law into motion because you're too young and too immature to figure this all out. It's almost like having a kid and, and they can't understand why running with scissors is all bad. So you're just like, so as a parent, when your kid asks you why, you say, because I said so, right? Because they're too little to figure out the dynamic complexities of why they can't stick a penny into a light socket. Just don't, because it's dumb. But why? Just do what I say. Because you're too immature to figure it out. And he goes, but there was a point in time that you reached, and your maturity hit a point where you were finally ready to receive this idea that I cannot do this on my own, and I need someone other than me. And God introduces Jesus as our Savior. And he calls it the gospel of grace. Everybody say grace. grace. 
So let's talk about grace here, because this is the difference. It's really a contrast between law and grace, between religion and a relationship with God. It's this, it's this contrast between a meritocracy, and I don't even know what the other one would be, family. Whereas in a, in a meritocracy, you've got to earn to get, but in a family, you just belong and are. Everybody say grace. So this is what grace is. If you never understood the concept of grace, grace is actually difficult to understand because for the most part, all we've ever known is a meritocracy. There's some ideas about grace that blow my mind and really don't make any sense to me, but they are what they are. Number one is this. Is this is the crazy idea about grace. Number one is this, is that grace is a free gift. This is the craziest thing. Grace is the love and kindness of God towards you, and it's free. And everything in us makes us feel like, well, I've got to be good then, right? To, to get the grace, I've got to be good to get the grace. So then I've got to earn it. But see, as soon as you get to earn it, it's no longer what? It's no longer grace, and it's no longer free. If you had to pay for it, well, what if, can you imagine the notion of showing up to a person's birthday party, and you went on their Instagram and figured out what the coolest gift to get them would be? And you, is that, or is that pictogram? What is that one? Is it Instagram? Pinterest. You went on to Pinterest to figure out the best gift to get them because that was what they had tagged as the cool stuff that they really wanted. And then you show up with this gift. And as you show up with this gift, they pull out their wallet and be like, all right, so how much do I owe you for that? You're like, no, no, it's your birthday, man. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I get it. But I don't know really. How much do I owe you? Well, I'll pay you for half. Well, I'll pay you for your gas money to get to my birthday. I'll, pay, I'll give you for something. You would be like, what is wrong with this person? This person clearly does not get the concept of a birthday party. This is what grace is. Grace is the ultimate birthday party. Just because you were born, you didn't do anything. Technically, your mom and dad did stuff, and then your mom did all the real work. That's, that's why you're here. Really, your birthday party, we ought to go celebrate your mom. You didn't do nothing. You just showed up. This is what grace is. God's like, you didn't do nothing. Heck, I created you. And then poof, you showed up. Just take the gift. It's free. And here's the deal. It's not only unearned, it's undeserved. Like there's nothing that you did of such great value that qualified you for this great love and kindness. There was nothing that you did that was like God was in heaven. You're like, you know what? But that guy right there, that guy's so worth it. Jesus, you're going to go die for him right now. Go. No, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It was so radical. It was just simply because God has overwhelming love for you. That's it. And there's nothing you can do to earn it or unearn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it or undeserve it. That's the mind-blowing part that we really have a hard time with. Is not only did we not earn it and not deserve it, but once we get it, we can't unearn it? We can't undeserve like, it? Like, because I had a, like, Todd, you don't know, when I went to Vegas, I unearned it. Remember my first marriage? I unearned it. I don't know what, Todd, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, that's the radical notion of grace. It makes no sense at all. Not on any type of merit scale it doesn't. Number two is this. Not only is grace a free gift, grace is received by faith. By faith. Now, now here, here's the deal. When I say faith, you're going to have to make a mind adjustment. I'm not saying that, that you get to receive God's love and kindness and forgiveness and mercy because you 
believed in something. That's belief. Belief and faith are not the same thing. Like, like my kids, when they need something from me, they don't believe in my existence. Right? They already know that I exist. So they don't believe in my existence. You know what they do? They trust in my character and nature. Do you see the difference? When you come to God, it's not this, oh, well, I believe you exist, God. That's not what God wants. So, so that, that's the idea of belief in. God wants trust in. And when you all of a sudden determine, okay, God, I don't, here, here's the other thing too. Faith is not certainty. Nothing in life is totally certain because your mind would have to be able to prove and compute and calculate all of it to make it certain. So almost nothing in life is really certain. There's minimal things in life that are certain. So faith is not certainty. So drag, pick up your doubts, put them in your pocket, and drag your doubts to church. Drag your doubts into your prayer life. Drag your doubts with you because faith is not certainty. It's ultimately saying, okay, I've got these doubts, but I've got these proofs, but I'm just going to trust you regardless of my doubts. Are you hearing me? You don't have to have the answer to all your questions to begin to walk and move towards God. And that's what he wants. He goes, I want you just to have faith in or trust in and walk toward and walk with me. And carry your doubts with you. Carry your uncertainties with you. I don't care. I just want you to trust in me. And so it's received by faith. I'll prove it to you. The Bible says this. It says, for by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith. And this is not from yourselves, meaning you didn't earn it and work for it. It's the what? We go back to this idea that it's a gift. It is not by how hard you worked so that nobody can be arrogant and say, I kept the rules better than you did. Because the reality is, is we all stink at keeping the rules. And, and please get this, even if you do think that you sit on a moral high horse and you keep the rules better than other people, which I'm sure you do. Because if you believe that, you probably do really work hard at keeping the rules. James says something really, really interesting where he talks about the idea of the problem with the law is this. It's a one-stop shop. If you break one, it's as if you've broken them all. So here's the deal. It's kind of like murder. Does that make sense? If, if, if you murder somebody, you're a murderer, right? You'd be like, well, hey, look, but I didn't kill five people. You didn't have to kill five. You just had to kill one. That made you, does that make sense? You're a sinner, but you're like, but I only did one. I know, but you're a sinner. Now you're lumped into that category because it didn't matter if you did one or if you did 20, you're still a wreck. And you're still in absolute need of Jesus and his redemption and his forgiveness. You're in need of his grace. Let's keep going. So grace is received by faith. Number three is this grace. This is crazy. Grace is available to everyone. Like this is not for the people that got their junk together. This is not exclusive to people of wealth. This is not exclusive to people who are of mental sanity. This is not exclusive to people that, that really did try hard and really had a great church attendance and all these things. No, no. This is available for everyone. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Listen to this. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody say everyone. everyone. Pretty people, ugly people. Rich people, broke people. Good people, bad people. And that's why as a church it's so important that we stay, and I think we do a pretty good job of this, but we stay a church of grace. Because I don't want you ever, like, given, remember, remember when Paul said he gave them the evil eye? Like, that, 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 that's the, that. I don't want you to ever walk into somebody or walk into church and then see somebody that don't look like they belong at church. 
We had this dude for the longest time that would roll up in church and had like a kilt and a skirt on and some makeup and was all. And, and, and you know, people were like, hey, did you, did you see the, the dude with the thing? I'm like, yeah, dude, that's awesome. Can you believe it that he's willing to come to church? Man, go give that guy a stinking hug. Aren't we glad that he's here? Don't you want people that come in with all their junk and all their mess and whatever they're dealing with? Because you got yours too. Yours just ain't wrapped in a skirt. So bring your junk to Jesus. Come and get, let everybody come in and make the grace available to everyone. And we'll let God work that stuff out. We'll let the scripture renew their mind. We'll let God heal their, their heart and their mind. We'll let God work that out. But we're not going to be the people that sit up on the gospel of religion. Looking down because we think we keep some rules better than other people do. When the reality is, is we just have secret rules that we break that aren't so obvious. It got quiet up in here. So the grace is available to everyone. Number four is this. Grace comes only through Christ. Now I know we live in this, this really nice pluralistic society where we all need to want and coexist and what about them and what about like this is not the reality of the situation and the reason why i know this is this is every other religion is just that it is your attempt to get to god and there is not any plan for redemption other than what you can do christianity is the one religion where god actually solves the problem Everybody else is, well, you need to do this, you need to keep this, you need to try harder here, you need to better. You need to be the better version of yourself. You know what Christianity is? You need to be in Christ. That's the difference. And in Christ, he is the redeemer. In Christ, he is the salvation. In Christ, he made the sacrifice. God, God's the only one that made a sacrifice for sin and created a problem or created a solution to the problem through Christ. That's it. There is no other redemption. Watch, watch this. The Bible says this, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through who? Jesus Christ. Romans 5.15, Many people have received God's gift of life by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.21, this is just interesting. Don't treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if we could be saved by just being really good and keeping all the rules, then there was no need for Christ to die. That was the point of the whole thing, was to redeem you. So grace only comes through Christ Jesus. Last one is this, we'll begin to wrap up here. Grace secures our eternity. The Bible says this in John three sixteen: The God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but would have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. Here's, here's the crazy part of grace. Remember I said there's some parts that just don't make sense? Is that the grace that's applied when you put your trust in Jesus is applied to your past junk, your present junk, and the future junk that you have yet to discover. And it covers it all and ushers you in, not just through the end of this life, but even into eternity. Not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, but because God was gracious. And he extended this open door and this open invitation. He says, just come. Just put your trust in me. Would you just walk with me? Would you just follow me? Would you just trust me? As a parent, have you ever looked at your kids? And your kids think they know better and they think they got it figured out and they think they can see ahead in the future, but you know that if... And you would plead with them if you would just trust me. And as parents, we're not even that smart. We're just smarter than them. 
Can you imagine God and his infinite wisdom, his endless supply of knowledge and wisdom? And he's pleading, just saying, just, just, I know, I know you don't get it, and I know you're trying to figure it out, trying to calculate, and you need certainty, but it ain't right. But if you would just trust me, I've got an incredible gift of grace, and it's waiting for you. Now, now, there's some of you in here who are a part of this gospel of religion, even though you don't want it to admit it. And I'll tell you, and I'll give you like an indicator. If you have a problem with grace, and grace makes you uncomfortable, that lets you know that there's still a little something hanging on in there. And what I want to tell you is this, because there's a kickback. Whenever I talk about grace, and I have a conversation after service with a person that comes from one of these more religious-based systems, even inside of Christianity, they're like, but what about? Wait a minute, Todd. Are you saying, are you saying that if I can, I, you're saying I can just get away with this and this, and if I just come and say a prayer and blah, blah, blah. And so if, you, if that happened to you today, just know there's a little bit of, and that's okay. I love you too. What I'm telling you is, is that that is meant to be there. Grace is meant to be radical and overwhelming. It's meant to do that in you. It's meant to wrench your heart with either being overwhelmed by his love or even being challenged in your religion. Because remember, Paul addresses the idea that you need to be saved from your sin, but some of you need to be saved from your religion. That you can't take Jesus and say, it's Jesus, but you got to do this and this and this. Well, it's Jesus, but after that, you got to keep doing this and this and this. No, you cannot do that. It's got to be Jesus only. That's it. And I, I, I get your resistance, but let me show you the scripture that will teach you what I mean. Titus 2 verse 11 says this, for the grace, man this is so good, please dial in, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to whom? All peace, it's available to everybody. And it teaches us, everybody say that line, it teaches us, okay well it was, it was like, like one over here and then it was almost like we were doing like row, row, row your boat and we started and another one picked up, like let's just, let's try it again, we'll try to, uh, so I'm going to say it and then you say it after me, everybody say it teaches us. So what does the grace do? The grace does so much. But Paul's telling Titus, he goes, the grace that's given, it's supplied and available to everyone. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So grace wasn't this like slippery thing where you could just slide right into heaven and do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. I'm free because God just forgave me and that gives me a free sin pass. Paul addresses that. Romans 6 says this. It says, just because grace is there, do we keep on sinning so that grace can keep covering us? He's like, of course not. That's not the point. Let me, let me put it like this. Grace really is this. Grace is when what you ought to do becomes what you want to do. Grace is when what you ought to do becomes what you want to do. And I'll tell you my story. When I became a Christian back in roughly the summer of 1996, when I became a Christian... I was terrible at keeping the rules. Me and my brother had a, a challenge, if you will, through our middle school years to see who could get written up and more referrals by the end of the year. We not only were bad at keeping the rules, we somewhat enjoyed breaking the rules. Has anybody ever enjoyed? You're at church, you don't have to. You enjoy, I enjoyed, it was a pleasure to see how much I made my teachers cry at times. It was, it was a pleasure, it was a, it was a challenge, could I break enough rules? And then, and then as I got older, I realized, well, breaking those rules is just not wise, that's getting me into trouble, but these other rules, now I can go break. These were, I just found new rules to break, and there were all kinds of bad things that I did as, as a young person. But then I met Jesus, 
And never once was it the notion of, oh, well, now I'm a Christian, so I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do that, and I can't do that. I never, no one ever gave me that list. Like when I, I prayed a prayer in my bedroom and said yes to Jesus, and I want to put my trust and faith in you, and I want your forgiveness. Nobody gave me a pamphlet that said, now that I'm a Christian, you've got to keep these ten rules, or you're out. Because that pamphlet doesn't exist. It's not real. But then, because of the overwhelming love and grace and kindness of God towards me, I didn't ever have to think, okay, Todd, don't go steal. Okay, Todd, don't go punch him in the face. Hey, Todd, don't go murder that guy. I just, those were not the issues that I was struggling with anymore because the things that become obvious to us that we know we ought not do, they don't become things that I'm constantly focused on. My focus is on Jesus and his love for me and his plan for my life. And then in light of that, the things that I ought to do just become the things that, why wouldn't I do? I want to reflect the love of God. I want to love him in, in, in reflection to his love for me. And in light of that, he, he wants me to take that love and really spread it to people because he goes, that's the, that's the best way you can love me, Todd, is just by loving everybody else. And in light of that, I don't have to worry about keeping all these rules. I just have to worry about keeping my eyes on Jesus. And Jesus takes care of everything else. That's the gospel of grace. If you would, bow your heads with me and close your eyes. If you're in here today and you say, Todd, I don't normally go to church and I'm not down with the Christian thing, but I realize that I need Jesus, that I'm not a rule keeper either, and I need to be saved from my sin and me being lost, and I need God in my life, and I want to be forgiven. I want a home in heaven. If you're in here today and you say, I want Jesus in my life, then on the count of three, I just want you to slip your hand up in the air just as a sign between me and you to say, yeah, I'm in. I want to put my trust in Jesus. On the count of three, one, two, three, and slip your hand up in the air. Awesome. If you're in here today, you can put your hand down. If you're in here today and you said, Todd, I know that I believe in Jesus and I've been putting my faith in Jesus, but I think I might need to get a little bit saved from the gospel of religion, that I've been living underneath the guilt and the weight of having to keep all the rules and do everything myself, or, or I've been judgmental and arrogant, and I've looked at other people wrongly. If, I, if you in here and you need to be saved from the gospel of religion, would you slip your hand up on the count of three? Just one, two, three, yeah. We are all in desperate need of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, the rules were given, apparently, so we could realize that we're not very good at keeping the rules. But Jesus was given so that we might have life and freedom. And so today, God, we as a people, we turn to you. We put our trust in you. We put our hope in you. And Jesus, we invite you into our heart and into our life. God, help us to walk out of this place and live from your love. God, not that we can earn it. It's not earnable. And not that we can deserve it. We're not good enough to deserve it. But God, you just overwhelm us with your love. God, let your love so penetrate our heart and our mind that we receive that overwhelming grace and we walk out of these doors and we live for you. Not because we have to, God, because we delight in it and we want to, and we want to know you. Lord, help us. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap one more time? 
Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.